Climate Psychology Conversations. Hi, I'm Ray Topfer. Today is August 29th, 2022. For the state of Louisiana, it's also an anniversary. 17 years ago today, Hurricane Katrina made landfall on its shores, breaking the levees of New Orleans and causing nearly 2,000 deaths. But that's not today's only hurricane anniversary. Last year's Hurricane Ida, a Category 4 storm that led to 107 fatalities, also first made landfall in Louisiana on, well, August 29th. It's a dark anniversary and a reminder that climate disasters like hurricanes and wildfires are here to stay. What does that reality mean for mental health care? In this episode, I meet Holly Walters, She's a licensed professional counselor and native Louisianan who has lived through multiple major hurricanes. Holly has lost her house, twice, first in Katrina and then Ida. She and I talk about Ida, which, though it may not have hit the national news with the force of Hurricane Katrina, brought massive destruction across the state. In all of the crazy, Holly kept doing her job. Even if there was no power and she was doing therapy with a flashlight, Holly kept serving her clients at the outpatient mental health clinic where she works in Laplace, Louisiana, an industrial town in the region of St. John's Parish, which also happens to be the region where 80% of evacuations took place in the state. What has it been like for Holly and the clients she cares for? Holly, thank you so much for being on Climate Psychology Conversations today. Thank you for having me. So I want to start by just setting the scene a little bit. Hurricane Ida, the fifth largest hurricane ever to make land in the United States, and for you, the second major hurricane after Hurricane Katrina. Tell me about where you were that day in August. What was it like? So it was it was a very long weekend. Um, I actually wound up evacuating because my husband's job evacuated us to Houston. Um, So myself, my husband, my pets, and my mom all took the long drive to Houston, which is a little longer than usual when everybody in the New Orleans metropolitan area is leaving at the same time. Um, It probably took, you know, almost all night and getting there into the morning. Um, So we were watching everything through news coverage as it was happening, um, not really knowing what we were going to be going back to. And tell me, when you finally got back to Louisiana, to your home, and you got out of the car, what did you find? Um, So when we got home, we had uh, roof damage, um, shingles in the yard, um, and not too much damage outside but when we went inside um the whole living room kitchen hall and one of the bedrooms there was insulation on the floor all over and the ceilings in all three rooms had come down so that's a lot it sounds like a lot how did it feel i think that's the part when you're still in the adrenaline Um, and there was a part of me that's like, let's just do this. We've done it before. Like get yourself, get back in the car, get everyone where they need to be. I think it's a little later that it really kind of kicks in as to, um, what do we do from here? And that kicked in very quickly for us because my husband's work only 
gave us a place to stay one more day. So we were then um, looking for a place to stay. Luckily, I have a great coworker and friend who took us in and helped us find a real estate agent so that we could find an apartment um, in the area, which we are still in to this day. It boggles my mind, honestly, like to hear a story like that and then to realize you were holding down a full-time job. And not only were you holding down a full-time job, but a full-time job taking care of other people in exactly the same situation. So why don't we just start with some of the basics? Like, tell me a bit about your job. What do you do? So I am a program director and clinician for an outpatient mental health clinic in Louisiana, about 45 minutes outside of New Orleans. Um, Laplace is the city that I work in. Um, So we are the state agency. The majority of our population are Medicaid or indigent clients, but being in a small rural area, we also take private pay and private insurance. So we're one of the few mental health providers in that area. So a lot of people from three parishes around us. Um, We start with little bitties at five and we go all the way up. And so we have clients with mental health diagnoses, substance abuse disorders, um, and any combination of that. And so what kinds of relationships do you have with the people who come to the clinic for you? Yeah, so I see my clients for counseling. Um, We develop together their care plan, their goals as to what they want to get out of treatment. Um, I do trauma processing. I do coping skill building. So we do a lot of really, um, really hard work. And so it, it does mean forming a really good rapport and bond with with these clients. And in a lot of cases, um, myself or the clinic is one of their, their biggest support systems. Um, so for a lot of people, you know, this is a prominent place for them, for their recovery and their stability. And so August, 2021 hits, Ida hits, you've left your home, you're in a hotel room in Houston, and you're soon to discover that like, what was it? Three rooms in your house, the walls, the ceiling is caved in. You're in this hospital, hospital. You're in this hotel room in Houston. Thank you for not being in a hospital in Houston, by the way. Uh, Right. (laughs) You're in this hotel room in Houston and you're trying to do your job in a place like Laplace, where I heard that it was hugely impacted by Hurricane Ida. There were a ton of evacuations. What was it like from that hotel room? I kind of went back and forth between just finding something to um, zone out with, which was actually cross-stitching, to checking emails and doing conference calls with the other managers. Um, I'm also a supervisor for our clinicians, so I also had to reach out and make sure that our staff was okay. Um, what things may they need, what's going to impact them coming back to help clients as well. Um, So it was a little bit of a juggle um, and we were all pretty spread out. There were some people in Texas, some people in Mississippi. Um, I think they even had people as far as Florida um, just going to and, wherever and you they mean could. Your staff or your client? The, my staff is what I initially learned. Um, 
as time went on, probably over the next month, we did learn that a lot of our clients were out of state, which brought its own challenges. Okay, so you've been in this hotel room, you come back to your home, which has been essentially devastated from what you described to me, and then you have to go back to the clinic. What do you find there? Um, that was rough, because um, I would say the first week or week and a half, um, we did, me and the other managers, some combination of that, were in the clinic every day. Um, no air conditioning. Um, one of the things that we did not have the foresight to do before we left was clean out the refrigerator. So that was one of the fun things that we got to come oh, back no. to. Um, <laughs> yeah, our pharmacy director had to come out because we had moved medications and iced them, but they had to do a whole inventory on medications and what was still usable and what wasn't. Um, and we spent a lot of time just kind of assessing the damage, um, bringing in laptops and other things that we could use to work without electricity. Um, we did, our executive director did get set us, set us up with a generator. Um, and so we were also there to kind of, you know, liaise with them. And it was an all day, almost all night process. I think it was close to midnight by the time they got the generator in and got it set up and we were able to go home for the day. Um, so lots of meetings on like, what are we doing? When, when is it safe to people bring people back in? Who do we want to bring back in? Um, what services do we start with? And just, you know, safety protocols and one of the things that I really appreciated was there was a really good balance as far as being able to take care of our clients as well as our staff because we really were um, having this parallel process of, of trauma um, because you have an office full of you know helpers by by profession um, that's what we want to do we want to come in and we want to help but at the same time you can't completely block the fact that, well, I don't get to go home tonight either. Or, you know, some people were still in hotels for a couple of months and they were back working. Um, and clients as well were dispersed for quite some time. It, we did a lot of reaching out to um, any phone numbers we could find. We did have a crisis team come out and they were able to go out in the community and try to contact and find clients. So you, I mean, you know, it's like you had to set up a building. It's half, half functioning, you know, and then right. on top of that, you need to start providing mental health services while also climate refugees. Right. Right. And interestingly enough, because, um, it can't just be one thing, right? Um, COVID's going on during all of this too. Um, we had literally just got all of our staff back in both buildings two weeks before Ida. So <laughs> it meant closing down one of the centers again that we had just opened up like two weeks before um, and going back to skeleton crews and shifting rotations and we were working out of our assessment center, which is usually where the kids go, but everyone was going there. So getting people directed to going to the right clinic um, 
was luckily they're like only two miles away from each other. So if they went to the wrong one and they had transportation, it wasn't that difficult to get them where they needed to be. But just the communication um, with, I mean, a lot of people didn't have cell service. Um, we didn't have electricity for, I don't think we got back in the office until like the middle of October or early October. Um, and even at that point, we still had rolling blackouts. Um, so there were many a days that I was seeing a client and the power would go out, but if I could keep them up on my laptop, um, you know, I would sit in the dark with a flashlight and finish the session because that was just kind of our normal at that point in time. Um, and then, you know, there were these other hiccups too, like, trying to fix things and a plumbing line gets hit and there's a new problem. Um, so it's, it was just like juggling a lot of things. Well, yeah. And it's interesting because you're mentioning all of these infrastructure things you're juggling, but you're also juggling all these relationships that are so important for your community to develop in healthy ways. So tell me about how your clients took all this. Yeah. So, um, one of the biggest things that they ran into as a challenge is um, licensed professional counselors and social workers are not um, approved to work across county or state lines. So even if we could do a televisit with a client, because we've been doing telehealth thanks to COVID for a while now, if they were in Texas, if they were in Mississippi, we could not provide that service. Um, so we also did a lot of researching what is in their area, um, where can we refer them to, can the doctor give refills until that appointment, when will that appointment be? Um, we did do a lot of check-in calls. We did have, you know, a decent amount of clients back in the area, um, who would come in or who were coming virtually because if they were somewhere else in Louisiana, like if they were in Lafayette, we could see them virtually because it was still the same state. Um, so everything just became, um, it was this weird new phase of where you had to start all your sessions with where are you currently located right now? Um, all of these, you know, insurance specific type of questions, um, that you have to get through before you can even get to those relational pieces. And, um, it's so frustrating, you know, cause like this is when our clients need the services the most. Um, but I have to say most of our client, our, our clients are resilient. I mean, I, most people who are in mental health treatment are, um, they don't get enough credit. Um, and so they, they rolled with the punches with us. Um, they knew we were going to be there. They knew we were going to figure out how to provide services to them. And, and most of them were really, um, creative and motivated as well. So for you, what did it feel like for you with your relationships with the clients? How, how do you, did you feel like it changed? Um, I think if anything, it probably got stronger. Um, because in times of crisis, I think research will even tell us that people come together more um, and there's more support and there's more community. And so 
I saw that with clients. I saw it with staff too. And I think that spilled over to staff relationships with clients as well. Even just like the people who would check you in or the people who would do reminder calls. Um, Everybody just had this heightened sense of empathy and compassion because a lot of times we're picking up the phone to call somebody for a resource for housing and we're trying to find the same resources. Um, so it was also this interesting time where we would get all these resources and it was like for your staff or your clients to use. Um, when usually we get resources and it's like share with your clients. Um, this time it was, you know, if you need it, take it. Share with your clients too. So that was a very surreal kind of just feeling. Um, I mean, you know, yeah, like- yeah when I think about Katrina, when I think about the coverage of things like this in the media, especially because I live so far away and I'm in wildfire country, which is a little bit different. I think about it and it, you know, it's sort of, we get all these images of like catastrophe and apocalypse, basically like it's mayhem. You don't think about, I mean, I certainly wasn't expecting you to say Mm -hmm. that your mental health client relationships have actually improved. You know, I, I came into this conversation wondering, okay, in what ways were they impacted? In what ways were the, were mental health services made less available to them? Was there anything that, you know, that's what's surprising me. Was there anything that surprised you? Um, I do think that there was some surprise into me. When COVID happened, there were some... Um, waiving of restrictions for telehealth if you hadn't been um, doing telehealth or certified to do telehealth. So there was a part of me like, this is another emergency. Can we have some of those things waived to go over state lines, especially if they were already our clients, even if it's just for a month? Um, I, I don't know if I just got kind of used to like pandemic world and all of the um, things that kind of adjusted for that. And I guess I hoped that hurricane world would be a little bit like that, or we lovingly called it panda cane world because for us it was both. Um, (laughs) And so that was, that was just what we called it. Um, And yeah, that was my biggest surprise, I think the telehealth part that people just weren't responding in the same way to this as they would have a pandemic. Yeah. Or, you know, even you would like to think that the surrounding States, you know, maybe would have, um, pumped up their services or made, you know, services known knowing how many people had evacuated. Um, and it's a lot of the same places that people evacuated to for Katrina, Um, so a lot of those same areas were being repopulated. And I I think in that way, there would have been kind of a good idea as to where a lot of the clients are and where they might need that help. So would you say that a fair number of your clients lost services as a result of this issue? I feel like we got a lot of them back. It may have taken a while. Um, they, they still straggle back in some ways. Um, but yeah, there, there are quite a bit of clients who, um, either decided to move out of state, stay where they were, were just kind of stranded out of state, 
um, or just never got back on our, our radar. And I have some clients that are planning to move out of state um, because of everything. So it certainly has had an impact on who's coming through the door. Well, and those clients, the ones that aren't able to continue to meet with you in the, in the way that they were able to support Ida, I'm sure that that's having a more negative impact on their mental health care. Yeah, I, you know, at least I know some of them got set up with other services, but there's still this group that, you know, my mind says, oh, either they found their resources where they are and they don't need us and that's why they didn't call. And, you know, that's what I'm always hopeful for. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the flip side could absolutely be true that they just aren't receiving services at this time. Um, and for those who, Katrina and Ida were very different hurricanes. Um, Ida was a wind event and Katrina was a water event. Um, and, and that was, you know, evident thinking about walking into my house for Katrina, still having standing water and all that. And Ida, it was more of the trees are going through the roofs, the roofs are coming off things like that. So it was a very different but similar experience. And for those who had lived through Katrina, um, I think there was a lot of PTSD coming up and absolutely anxiety. Um, and then, I mean, you have depression and grief when you lose, when you lose things. Um, and for some, you know, the symptoms would go up because it took them longer to get back in touch and get on their medications. Um, and getting off and onto medications can be a roller coaster. Um, so I think the phone support really helped people. Um, but there were, there were dead ends too, which were also frustrating. And now it's been almost a year. Yes. And I'm really curious for you and your experience, like you're still in this apartment in the city and you haven't been able to go back. And neither have many of your clients, I suspect. How how is it changing the way that you do your work even now, a year later? Yeah, what I think the biggest thing that I notice right now is most of my clients are making that point that it's it's hurricane season again, and you can see the anxiety going up already. Um, a lot of like myself, a lot of clients aren't back in their homes. They're still fighting with insurance. They're still trying to find contractors. Um, of course, when there's supply and demand, the uh, prices to rebuild are much higher. Um, I think than when they started a year ago. And it came. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, from <laughs> from both sides. Um, and so that's the biggest thing that I notice. But for some people, it's less support systems um, if some of their supports have left. Um, overall, I think I think we're just, we have a stronger piece, but there's this time of year is starting to bring a lot of anxiety and um you know, my, myself as well, the staff too, um, what's going to happen? What are we going to have to do this time? Um, how can we be better prepared from what we've learned? Um, you know, are there ways to like making sure the clients know about 
the website and the Facebook page and the patient portal and all these other things that um, are going to help us stay connected with them um, if something were to happen. Well, and how can, what do you think, how can people be better prepared then? Um, We do have a lot of stuff that you can do virtually on your phone. So I think like that is one of the biggest ones. We now have a system that can push out like text alerts and things like that too. So hopefully we'll be able to send alerts that'll say like this clinic is opening or closed or things like that. So people know where to go. Um, Also with their patient portal app, they can request their refills that way. Um, And so that could make getting medication quicker because not everybody's sitting on the phone waiting for this one and that one to go through. Um, I, I would love to kind of work with the crisis line a little bit more and see how we can help staff that. Um, because just that phone support is really huge for a lot of people. And, you know, this is the time of the year. It's like, okay, well, let's update your phone numbers. Let's make sure we have the right numbers um, and all this, these contact information so that if we need to, we can get in touch with you. And so you're describing to me a lot of like really nuts and bolts, just the basics, you know, like keep the phone lines running, have everybody know what the phone numbers are. Right. But I'm also curious, like in terms of the relationships, like, what has this taught you about being the therapist in a therapeutic relationship? Um, I, it goes back down to one of the things that I have always said and believed, and it's, it's that rapport that you build with somebody initially in your relationship. Um, and that's when, that's when they cash in on it, or that's when you cash in on it because that trust and that strength is already built. And so by that, you mean like when, when a crisis happens is when you cash in on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, obviously talking about a hurricane, but that could be in any regular mental health stuff. If there's a relapse or a car accident or things like that, this you just see on a massive scale. Um, cause everybody's going through it simultaneously, but I really do think the reason we had so many clients come back is just that they've had the rapport with the clinicians. Some of them have been working with the doctors there for years. Um, you know, it's, it's like, that's their second family. And so they wanted to come back. Um, they, they don't want new services, new places. They want to come home and they want to be able to see the people that they know and they trust. You know, you're really sharing a remarkably hopeful image of this thing that sounds like a catastrophic loss. Um, To be honest, I'm a little shocked talking to you because um, I'm hearing this story of like possibility coming in a place that sounds like, wow, lots of people are going to lose their service. Lots of people are going to lose their relationships, but maybe it's actually even a motivator to keep those relationships. I guess in order to support that, is there any advice that you have for other mental health professionals or maybe even policymakers, what can we do to help like capitalize on the parts of this that work and improve the parts that are causing issues? Yeah. Um, obviously there's work to be done. I think being able to reach a larger range of people, um, in that after effect or if there's some kind of 
communication system, um, or news or something to that effect. Um, because we can only get to so many people with the, the numbers and the information that we have. Um, and I don't know if there was like a, you know, on the news, like, here's a call line if you're in this parish or this parish to see what's open and, and what's on. Um, because a lot of clients just didn't know when we were opening again. They didn't know how to get to us. Um, when they got to us, you know, it was almost business as normal. Um because we're used to clients coming in in crisis. So we were able to just, you know, walk into that situation and the clients know that. And, and I think this is just another thing that like proves to them like, oh, hey, the power went out, but my counselor's still going to sit here with me. Um, that's where that trust and that's where that relationship is. Um, and, you know, sometimes both of us were sitting in the dark um, and, you know, it, there's that's the period of time where you just need people to be listening to your story and a unique piece here is there is so much empathy because a lot of the people listening could tell some similar stories um yeah i think it's just about preparation too we do these like um hurricane plans a lot of times with clients, like what are the things you need to have stocked? Where are you going to go? What are your this and that? But, you know, adding your treatment stuff into there too. Like what is the clinic number? What is the crisis number? What do I, I wanted to take all these things with me um, so that I can access my services if I'm not coming back soon. Mental health services need to be given to the responders too, whether that be, you know, your police, your firefighters, your, um, national guard, your counselors, your doctors working the ERs, um, because you can get easily overwhelmed there too. And I took that as something that I always wanted to make sure that I was taking a status check with my staff too. Um, we made it very clear to staff that if you have to be home because a contractor or a roofer or whoever is coming, we're going to work with you. Um, and so we were able to do that for our staff, which just made them more readily available for their clients when they, they got there. It's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If your basic needs are met, you're going to be able to give more. Um, and so being aware of what's going on with the providers as well, how do we support them? Because if they're supported, they're best going to support our clients. Um, and I think that's a piece that sometimes gets missed. I am very fortunate that, um, the atmosphere of my office and my agency is very pro making sure that we're supported as well. Um, but yeah, it wasn't uncommon for like one of my staff to come in and be like, Hey, I need to leave at 11. The roofer's coming. And so, um, you know, we would jump on, okay, who can cover sessions or who can we, you know, juggle to come in earlier, this or that, because that's just so important. Um, 
and you know the clients were just so great too because you know they're like yes I'll, I'll switch my schedule around I want you like they wanted us to be able to get our stuff done too and so it was really this mutual benefit that went back and forth um and that I think we got a lot from working with our clients as much as I hope they got from us too I also was reflecting on something you said earlier about how this is just one of many crises that your clients are coming in to see you with, especially since you're working in a, it sounds like a pretty, um, a space where there's lots of people with more uh, pressing mental health needs. Um, you know, it's, yeah. it's an area where you may be working with people with substance abuse or schizophrenia or a major uh, disorder of some kind. Absolutely. And so it's interesting that you've brought up to me this idea of like a hurricane is just one more thing on top of all those other crises. And as a result, maybe is less unique. It, it could be less, it can be compounding really. It just, you know, depends on that individual and what their support systems like, what their coping skills are like. Um, for some people, it was great to spend time with family um, and stay with them for a while because that's their support system. For other people, they're going into family homes that they left for very good reasons. Um, and this is a trigger for relapse or this is a trigger for my symptoms to get worse. Um, so it was really just kind of assessing like what are the crises going on right now? And it could be for this one person, maybe relapse is the crises. Maybe how the housing stuff is going to come later. We have to stabilize the substance use crisis. Um, and so you, you would see a lot of compounded crises coming in the door too. So if there is another hurricane this year, what do you hope that your team, your clinic, your community does differently around mental health care? I think maybe some more information, like we tend to get that window, you know, um, of it's coming. You mean you the should, window of warming? Yeah. Like you should be able, you should evacuate by this time. This is how fast it's traveling. This is, you know, hurricanes do their weird things where they decide to turn completely different at the last minute. Um, but we have some warning and prep time. And I think using that more wisely, um, rather than just like, those kind of generic, this is what you have and this is what you need, that could be planning one-on-one -on -one in counseling sessions. Like, you know, how are you feeling with this coming up? What are your plans? What are your plans to get back or get back in touch if you are away um, for a longer time? And I think having that relationship with clients already and having pretty much all of them having had that experience recently that it would be something we could do collaboratively. And if I've learned anything from my clients, they have way better ideas than I do most of the time. So working with them one-on-one, -on -one, I would guess that they would come up with some really good ideas to help us um, get the word out or, or to get them services and everything because they're just so creative. Um, and yeah, like I, I think that they would probably show us up pretty well, but, um, but doing that kind of preparation, um, making sure, like I said, checking about phone numbers, checking about pharmacies too. Um, so 
that makes it a little smoother when we're trying to get people back in. Um, I don't, even if there's like an idea of where one would be going to evacuate, maybe, um, we could have some of the mental health information for some of those big areas to just give out. Like if you're heading to Houston, like this is where you can get crisis services. If you're heading to Hattiesburg, this is where you want to look. Um, cause I think it's really all about supports. Um, you just don't, you never know what's going to happen. You never know what you're going to come back to. Um, and at the end of the day, all you can with, with any disaster or any mental health challenge, all you can do is control your response. So just having that information ahead of time and knowing like, what are my steps? Um, and having a plan because that just grounds people. Um, and it helps with their, it helps with their anxiety. So I think those could be some good things. I think that's an excellent place to close. I I just want to say, Holly, thank you for taking the time to talk about something that from an outside perspective, I I think would be difficult to talk about. So yeah, thank you for opening up and telling us about what you're going through. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Will it happen to Louisiana again this year? Or will it be another disaster elsewhere? By fire or by water? And is the mental health field, wherever the next climate-related disaster comes, truly prepared for what Holly is describing? For Climate Psychology Conversations, I'm Ray Tokver. Thanks for listening.